episode of Hella Smart Mothers. So obviously, you can tell we changed up our format a little bit. Uh, we got feedback that the vlogs were just too long to, you know, for people to watch because who has 30 minutes to just sit in front of their phone and watch their phone? I know none of the hella smart mothers I know have time for that. So here we are on our podcast. Yes, we've been picked up by Spotify and I am working on Apple. So, you know. Go follow me and all that good stuff. Um, you can search the podcast, Hella, H-E-L-L-A, Smart Mothers, and it pops up. That was really exciting, if I do say so myself. Um, and yeah, so this will be our new format. I will post little intro vlogs on Instagram so that you guys know when the podcast drop. And hopefully you like this new format. Okay, so let's get into it. So today, we're going to be talking with my very good friend from college, Brandilyn Franks Blunder. Um, love Brandy. I have known her since the first day of freshman orientation when we were both at the University of Texas. Uh, the way we met, pretty funny. One day, I will go through that story as well as all my other friends from college because all of those stories are pretty funny. Um, but... Brandy, dope. So here's her story. Brandy graduated from UT in 2007 with a bachelor in uh, history from the uh, the liberal arts college of liberal arts, and in 2013 also from the University of Texas with a master's in education. Um, yeah. So just want to let you guys know that I will be saying hashtag Stay Mad Abby quite a bit because I have a whole bunch of black friends that Abby Fisher probably thinks took her spot at school, but we know that's probably not the case, and that Aunt Becky and her cohorts were very likely paying for their kids' way in, but that's a whole other topic. But back to Brandy. So Brandy um, got her master's from UT also in 2013. She is currently pursuing her educational passion in higher education um, I won't say where she works just in case, you know, people, the streets is watching. We don't want, we don't want no problems. Um, but she's fantastic. She's in, uh, in administration and higher education and she's amazing with her students and I'm in awe at all the amazing things that she does with them. Um, she is the mom to three bio kids and one bonus kid, but she treats that bonus kid just like her very own as one should. Um, he's 16 and she's got a six-year-old and two identical twin boys who are 22 months. They are exactly five days older than my second son. We were pregnant at the same time and she's also an inspiration for Hella Smart Mothers. So can't wait for you guys to hear her story. Um, she was diagnosed with what we're going to be talking about today, which is peripartum cardiomyopathy. And effectively, it is heart failure due to pregnancy. So I've linked some information on um, our Instagram page, which is also at Hella Smart Mothers altogether, no spaces. And um, she, you know, she was diagnosed with this condition two and a half months after she was pregnant, and she's been a heart warrior ever since. Um, about a year ago, 
she lost her father completely unexpectedly to a heart attack and she discovered that he also had an enlarged heart and she'll talk about it a little bit um in our interview but it was you know super tragic super unexpected he was pretty young seemingly healthy guy so that said ladies mothers and mother lovers let's please please focus on our health focus on our health go to the doctor get checked up if you have a family condition of things like heart disease diabetes hypertension any of that kind of stuff that so many of us have please 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 go see a doctor and make sure that's being treated adequately i mean as most people know your health starts in the kitchen so let's watch that salt let's watch that fat at some point we will have a nutritionist on that can give us a uh you know an overview i mean I think we know what we are and aren't supposed to be eating. I know the ancestors gave us some delectable goodies with seasoning and and, and deep fried and all that stuff. But we really do have to watch it, y'all. We really do. But that said, I just want to focus that peripartum cardiomyopathy is actually not a result of anything that you're eating or anything like that. It is a true pregnancy-related condition much like uh, gestational diabetes so keep that in mind but right after the jump we're going to get in it with brandy she's going to tell us all about her prognosis how the disease was discovered what her treatment plan was and some advice for everybody um, who is pregnant who will be having a baby in the future of a conversation that you can have with your doctor and how to get that started so let's get into it Thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, a little bit mad at this bipolar weather, but, you know, right. what do you do? Climate change is real. Don't <laughs> care what anyone says. Um, so, uh, as I was discussing in the lead into this, we've been trying to stay on trend with the um, maternal health topic, and Brandy, you have a really, really important story to share, um, and so, like, let's jump into it. So, Brandy, what happened when you, ha- first of all, how old are your babies? So, the babies will be two in June, and I was uh, diagnosed with my condition two and a half months after they were born. So, that was in about, what, August? Mm-hmm. And on August 24, 2017. And break it down for me. What's the condition called again? Sure. So the condition that I was diagnosed with is called peripartum cardiomyopathy. Um, cardiomyopathy alone is the weakening of the heart muscles. And then peripartum um, is just a name that they gave that, that doctors have given to the condition because they are unsure if the condition developed during pregnancy or uh, shortly after pregnancy. And so because they don't know, um, they, they call it peri as opposed to pre or post. Got it. Okay. And so basically that means that at some point during or after pregnancy, your heart muscles have weakened. <laughs> so yeah. So, so how did you first discover that this happened? Okay, so I guess just a little bit more explanation about the weakening of the heart muscle. Um, So, you know, when you're pregnant, you take on a lot or you increase the volume of blood 
um, inside your body in order to accommodate for uh, the baby. In my case, I had twins, so I was accommodating for both of my babies. And um, my heart, um, the way that your the blood pumps into your left ventricle and then um, spits out, I guess, on your right ventricle um, is where the where the problem was. And so my heart was taking in the blood, but it wasn't pushing it out at the same speed or rate um, that it was taking it in. So in my blood, your blood is supposed to pump in kind of like this and pump out like that. Mine was pumping in like this, but it was pumping out like about like that. So wow. it was at about 5% um, function whenever I was diagnosed. Um, the symptoms that I experienced that kind of sent me to the hospital were, uh, or actually just to a primary care physician, was shortness of breath. And I've never had shortness of breath, even, uh, I mean, of course, running, but just walking normally, walking up and down stairs, um, sleeping, laying down, I've, I've always been fine. Um, on top of that, I had developed a cough. And so I had really bad allergies. So I attribute everything to my allergies. And so um, I was going to work one day. And it took me a really long time to catch my breath after I made it probably about two minutes from my car. And so I went to the doctor and they thought that I had bronchitis. She gave me a nebulizer, checked my lungs again, hadn't flushed out. So she sent me to get chest x-rays. The x-rays showed that I had an enlarged heart. I called my mother, told her. She said, oh, yeah, your daddy has an enlarged heart. That would have been nice to know. Okay, so daddy has an enlarged heart. Um, and so I guess she was trying to normalize it for our family. Um, but because my EKG, which is the way that they test the electrical waves of your heart, was fine, they couldn't understand why my heart was enlarged. And so they sent me to get an ECG, which is electrocardiogram, and um, it showed that my function had decreased from 55% to 5%. Wow. Yeah. And how were they able to determine the decrease? Like, what, what, how did they figure that out? So your heart normally pumps at about 55 to 70. So that's called an ejection fraction or the way that it takes in the blood and, and, and disperses it. Um, and so the norm is up to 70%. So it's definitely not 100%, which I was like, oh, my God, if I'm at five, I'm about to die. But um, it was, it's not at 100%. And they just do a series of tests where they it's an ultrasound of your heart. And so they watch your heart do what it's supposed to do or not and, and then show – then they determine – what it's not supposed to do based on um, or they determine that it's not doing something based on what it's supposed to do. Um, and then I give you a percentage based on that. And so what did your doctor say when, you know, you came in there with a 5%? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty dramatic um, because he was very surprised. Um, so there have been women who have had four, gone in with 40% heart function and have gone in on a stretcher because they passed out, um, dropping their babies, dropping, you know, dinner, oh whatever God. it is. And so he was very just like, what is happening? So I think that at that point, it kind of set up for him the course of treatment because I believe that he, he, was, he was optimistic from the beginning because of that. And so... I was admitted immediately to the hospital. I've never had that experience. I always thought, like, you know, I was going to go to the doctor when I was pregnant. I was going to go to the doctor, have my cervix swept, and, you know, they were like, oh, my God, you're nine centimeters. Like, I thought it was going to be dramatic like that all the time. It was literally <laughs> dramatic like that whenever um, whenever it happened. So the woman who was the, um, uh, the, mm, the ultrasound tech, she mm – -hmm 
told me to go to the waiting room. And next thing I know, Dr. Khan was coming. And I'm just like, hey. And he's like, hey, this is what's happening. You know, I've already called in a bed for you. Um, you know, I want to admit you tonight. And I was like, oh, my God. So what was interesting is that I didn't feel a lot of anxiety up until that point. And then at that point, I felt like my heart was beating out of my chest that I was like, <laughs> even shorter of breath like it was just and he wasn't dramatic honestly it was just the way that i was taking it right because I, I have twins i got your babies ready my mama was coming um like i called her how, old were, how old were the babies at that point the babies were two and a half months old so wow. i was still breastfeeding right? i was still yeah trying to sleep trying to figure out how to sleep um hurricane harvey was hitting my hometown I was on its way to hit my hometown. <laughs> so my mama had to leave my family back in Orange to come and help Travis with the babies. Um, then Hurricane Harvey hit, but I was in the hospital. And so she couldn't go back home. And yeah, so, and my daddy wanted to come up here, but she was like, just stay. And then he came up. It was, so all of that was like the drama behind it. But my actual stay in the hospital was pretty innocuous. I wasn't hooked up to any heart monitor. Well, I was heart, hooked up to a heart monitor. I didn't have an IV. I wasn't tethered to the bed. Um, the doctors were coming in and out. The lactation consultant, everybody was coming, didn't know who the patient was because it was something that they hadn't seen before. But like I said, I think that that really set my doctor up to be optimistic about my condition and my ability to either fight it or cope with it. And so um, I think that that was kind of a way to be calm in it because it didn't it didn't feel like anything different I just I was in the hospital and I was I was um they were trying to get my medicine right I was determined that I was going to breastfeed so that was my first course of action is getting the lactation consultant on the team and we went through all of that my doctor was a strong advocate I was a strong advocate for myself um and we you know we got that done but um I think that it's, it was, I don't know, it was just a really interesting time. And I think that, you know, I know that I'll probably talk a little bit about kind of what happened, why we missed it. Cause we, I have a two month appointment and it wasn't called at my two month appointment. And so let's talk about that. So okay. after you had your twins, you went to, was it a six weeks or eight week appointment? Yeah, I had an eight week appointment. So you can't, you went to your eight week appointment and at that point, had you been experiencing any of, any of that shortness of breath or the coughing or any of that? Not at all. I actually, the only thing that had happened was that I was swelled up really, really bad to the point where my, my um, legs were tight. They felt like if I poked them, like it would just shoot out liquids. And um, I, that, and did that you explain that to your doctor? Yes, so I talked talked about that to my doctor. Um, he really just brushed it off as the side effect of a cesarean. Um, I had a C-section. I had twins. You know, like all this seemed very normal for that type of um, birthing unplan. <laughs> that that type of birthing plan is that you retain water and then you get rid of the water. And and that's what I did. I I woke up one night. It was really hard to get in the bed. My C-section was already hurting, but it was really hard to get in the bed. And now I believe that that's actually why my my um, C-section hurt worse than it hurt, hurt as bad as it did. Um, because at my two-week appointment, um, he, so, okay, let me, hold on. It's been, a, it's been almost two years. Okay, let me back up. At my two-week appointment is when I talked to him about the swelling. And he said, that's normal. And I was like, 
you're the doctor, so that's normal. You've probably seen these cases more than me. Um, I talked about the pain of my C-section. It hurt so much worse than it did with my first one. Of course, I had twins, so that's why it hurt worse than it did. But it, it probably was my body trying to heal and do other stuff. So I one night I went to the restroom, and then I just kept going to the restroom. And I think by the fourth time, I was like, well, let me weigh myself. By the end of the morning, so at 7 o'clock in the morning, I woke up and weighed myself. And from the time I started weighing myself at about 12 that night to 7, I had lost 11 pounds. But that oh was God. that was after my two-week appointment. And he said that that would happen and that the only thing that I needed to be worried about was if my C-section had, like, burst or open or something. But not any dramatic weight loss from the expulsion of those fluids. So, yes, I went the next two months, and so that was two weeks. I went to almost two months, and it was fine. I went on a vacation, uh, walked the entire, felt like the entire river walk, didn't have any issues. It was hot, no complications. Wow. And about a week before I went to the doctor is when, um, a week before I went to my primary was when I started developing the symptoms. And okay. it was yeah, it was different for me. So that's why I went because it was, that was different. Nothing else before felt that different. But when that was happening, um, where I was having a cough that wasn't productive and I could get up to the top of the stairs and have to sit on the chase lounge, then I knew that something was, something else was going on. Got it. Wow. So once you got to the doctor and, the, and you were admitted to the hospital, you know, what did the doctor say? If you had waited another week, a month, whatever, like, what did he think your prognosis would have been? Yeah, so he basically said if I had waited, I, I think he even gave, like, another three to five days that he felt like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have made it. I would have gone into cardiac arrest or wow. um, something because my, the function was so low. And it's not just that my function was low, but that I had other... Uh, other stuff going on so I was breastfeeding which was you know time consuming I wasn't not time consuming but that was physically um right. demanding. You're taking um, up was, calories you're taking up fluids you're taking up electrolytes all that stuff yeah wasn't sleeping and, and sleep is necessary you know for any condition to heal especially your heart and so I wasn't sleeping and so yeah he was just kind of like it's good that you came in when you did and I was like that was nothing but God because I, not that I'm not a doctor go seer, but I just I have allergies, so that's what it was. It was just allergies. Right. So. And if you know your other complaints had been dismissed mm -hmm. by your OB, what more were you to think? So yeah. 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 Wow. So okay. So fast forward, you get the diagnosis. You go through to the hospital. How long were you in the hospital? I was in the hospital from the 24th to the 29th. So five days. Five days. Okay. So, sorry, 25th through the 29th. It would have been the 24th, but I went on a day late. So after you were discharged from the hospital, what happens next? Yeah, so I was discharged with my lovely life vest. Um, That's life vest. About that. Yeah, the life vest is an external defibrillator. Um, the fear of God was placed in me that if I ever took it off other than to shower or bathe, that I would just fall dead and die. So I was very... Yeah, very, very attached to it um, for the first year of my diagnosis. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had to change the battery every day. I had, so I had two batteries. Um, I charged the battery while I was wearing a battery. I had to change them every night. There were sounds. And it, it's so funny how 
like that gets etched into your memory. Last night I heard a sound that sounded mm -hmm. like the gong of the life vest, and I was like, oh, what is happening? Um, and so I, I have not looking at it anymore, right? No, I got to send it back in January because my ejection fraction went up to 40%. Um, but I had a salt restriction, fluid restriction. Um, I had cardiac rehab for three months, which was wonderful. I lost 68 pounds um, between, between breastfeeding and cardiac rehab. I lost 68 pounds. I was the smallest that I had been in years since, like, we were what? sophomores probably in college. What's cardiac rehab? What did that entail so, exactly? Cardiac rehab is exercising at the hospital with older people who have had heart attacks and stents and um, bypasses and things like that. Um, okay. So I was the youngest person there. Which, I mean, it's a confidence booster because you know, I was, like, going while they were – I was, like, running on the treadmill when they were just walking. Um, you're monitored the entire time with uh, your blood pressure, and um, they they couldn't monitor my life vest, but they would monitor my blood pressure and my oxygen levels, I think. And um, so I did that for three months, and then I got tested again. So I went from 5% all the way up – well, it was, like, 5 to 10%. I'm sorry. I was – was it 5 yeah, it's 5 to 10%, up to 20%. So I increased a lot. I stabilized at 25% for two for six months. And I was like, what is happening? And then I got an increase to 35%. And at that point, um, they at that point my doctor said, wanted to send well, he did send me to an electrologist, I think they're called, um, because he wanted to give me a implantable cardiac defibrillator. But I got another doctor who said, um, no, we'll test you again because I hadn't gotten my, my ECG. So he said, no, we'll do your ECG again because the threshold for the life vest for getting an, an ICD is if you're anything below 36%. Well, I was 35% and he was already talking about it. So I got another cardiologist. We tested. I was at 40, 41%. And so I didn't have to get the ICD and I got to send the life vest back. So really, I feel like that was two doctors. There was one doctor who kind of missed my symptoms, and then a second doctor who was just kind of rushing to overzealous about yeah it about yeah about my diagnosis about my, not even diagnosis my prognosis at that point. So where where do they ultimately want the percentage to be, or how or how yeah. they said? Yeah, so fifty five percent. So if I get to fifty five percent, they you know want me to get to fifty five fifty five percent, and then have that stabilized for the rest of my life. Um, I'll continue to be on medicine. I'm on high blood pressure medicine, although I don't have high blood pressure. I've never had high blood pressure, but it's just a way to slow my heart rate down. So my um, heart has the time really to do what it's supposed to do. Um, I am on Entresto, which is one of the like breakthrough medicines. So I've been doing that for a year now, um, and I take a diuretic every day to flush any additional fluids that I need to, to flush. So, so yeah, 55%, and then, um, but I'll be on medicine more than likely for the rest of my life. Yeah. So just to back up a little bit, prior to this diagnosis, had you ever had any other, like, cardiac, cardiac episodes or anything like that? Not at all, and that's the thing about PPCM is that there's no markers for it. There's no, um, you know, it's not like um, any of the other conditions where, you know, uh, belly fat or um, right. immobility or, you know, those things contribute to it. Really, the condition is kind of like gestational diabetes in the sense that 
gestational diabetes only occurs in gestation, PPCM is supposed to supposed to correct itself after you're not pregnant. What I learned, and it's something that we as black people just don't do a good job of, is that my heart, my, my heart, my family has cardiac conditions. And so I didn't know that. I didn't know that my daddy's heart was enlarged. Um, I actually ultimately lost my dad to a, a heart attack last year. Um, and that's because he wouldn't go to the doctor, but he has an enlarged heart. My uncle has congestive heart failure. Never knew that. My great-grandmother had congestive heart failure, but she was about 75 when it was diagnosed. And so other than a first cousin who has a pacemaker, um, because he has, and actually my great-grandmother had a pacemaker, so she had more rhythm issues. We, mm -hmm. you don't, if you have rhythm issues, you aren't necessarily checking for plumbing issues or you're not checking for mechanical issues. That's the way that they uh, kind of describe it's electrical mechanical and and plumbing and so if you have one you, and especially in a i was what 33 at the time you definitely aren't looking for those issues to be in someone who doesn't have a congenital heart defect because i didn't have anything wrong with my heart when i was born so yeah so there's that no so not a not a i mean like i said i was at one point 228 pounds and bre was breathing better than i was at you know 190 pounds or whatever I was. So I did, I have, yeah, never had those types of issues um, come up at all. And like I said, now that I've been diagnosed, now it's coming up, oh, this cousin has high blood pressure. This cousin has diabetes. This, like, on all of those organs work together. And so, um, right. so it could be genetic. It could be environmental. Like, you know, it could be, I don't, I don't know. Um, it, because I have a son, I have a six-year-old who, after my pregnancy with him, it was perfectly fine. My pregnancy with the twins was perfectly fine in pregnancy. I was released at 34 weeks from my MFM who said, wow, there's nothing more, you know, we have to do with you. You're, you're great. And so, sorry, I'm getting the, oh, let me get back. Sorry, my, my child called me. My child uh, called me from upstairs. He's upstairs in his room. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, no, no, no markers and yeah nothing wow so fast forward two years later where are we now so right now my heart function is at 40 percent at last check which was in january um it's kind of nerve-wracking because i was getting um i was getting uh what are those things called ecgs every three months and so the fact that i can't go back for a year is it, i just feel unprotected um, I even was just like, maybe I should just get an emergency one. I just, it just feels, so I think that that's kind of where I am. It's like, there's a, almost like a paranoia um, because I'm no longer protected. Like it's just me on my own. Uh, but the salt restriction is still in place. I need to get better about it because I definitely started feeling better and started eating worse. Um, so I need to get back to that. Uh, flu restrict restriction is still play in place. The only thing that they've done differently is that they have, uh, taking me off of two times a day with the furosemide, um, which is, I'm sorry, the, the fluid pill, because um, I was getting, I, I, my potassium was really low. I got, got a heart catheter back in February, or no, in January, um, found that I don't have any blockage or any, like, no, none of my arteries are blocked, like, no, everything flows fine, my blood is flowing fine, it's just, the my heart just needs to get stronger. Got it. And what is some advice that you would give, you know, women who are either pregnant or are postpartum? 
Yeah, so I think that one is, of course, just listening to your body. That's probably a cliche, but that's really what it is. Like, you know your body better than any doctor does. And I always really fancied myself as a strong advocate and somebody who really, you know, ask a lot of questions and things like that. But I guess it's just something about medicine. I'm like, I don't have that degree. Like, they have to know better than me. Um, I believe that every woman, regardless of... Um, of how they're feeling at the moment or if there's any likelihood for them to develop the condition. I think that they need to get the blood panel that they do. It's called a BNP, um, a, what would that be? A Brandy Nurse Program, um, but a BNP that would check those levels for them before they leave the hospital. It's not something that's standard. I wish that it were standard if I had the time you know, to be an advocate outside of the other work that I'm doing. That's what I would advocate for the most. Um, knowing that, um, just wanting people to understand that it doesn't matter, you know, like who you are, um, what degrees you have, um, it doesn't matter like what your socioeconomic class is, like those things, they kind of yield to the doctor's whims a lot of times, like they don't, they just don't believe they don't believe us. And, you know, we know that maternal mortality for black women is the highest that it's been in ages and specifically within Texas. And like, so nothing, nothing about me saved me, I guess. And so I just want women to know that they should ask more questions, that they should listen to their bodies, that they need to research, you know, what are, what are some of the, the conditions or the symptoms or whatever it was that people have lapsed or not lapsed, but have passed from or have just had complications so that they can ask those more directed questions in their doctor's appointments and not letting, not allowing the doctors to make them feel small or make them feel, you know, paranoid or whatever it is. Um, it's just something that, yeah, I wish that I had done. Now, it may not have done anything because it's just one of those things that happens, but I think that, I, be I believe that we could have caught it earlier because I do believe that my heart was my heart function was absolutely decreasing when I was holding on to 11 pounds of fluid. You know, right. my doctor just, he, and he's an older doctor. Definitely, yeah. definitely. When that past your OB, when you're pregnant, just be like, hey, we have health conditions in our family about heart or heart conditions in our family. I just want to make sure everything's on the up and up. Let's do this. Is that cool? After I have my baby, however you want to word it, yeah. probably don't talk to me. But yes, do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And make sure, ladies, advocate for yourselves. No one else is going to do it. Advocate for yourselves. Well, Brandy, again, thank you. Love you, girl. Talk to you soon. We'll link B's sweetest bling um, in your bio. You want to send me a dope picture? Otherwise, I'm going to snag one off of Facebook and Instagram. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you want to do. <laughs> um, again, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. And... Thank you for stopping with Hello Smart Mothers. All right. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. Well, that was some amazing information from Brandy. Brandy, thank you again so much for taking the time to do that interview with me. I know you got a full plate. I really appreciate it. You gave us some amazing information. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, mothers, mother lovers, you know, like Brandy said, advocate for yourself. If there's nothing else that you got from her information, if you are pregnant, plan to be pregnant, 
when you meet with your doctor, go ahead and try to get your birth plan in place. And in that birth plan, make sure you discuss your postpartum care. Um, the BNP plan that she talked about, I'm sorry, the BNP panel that she talked about, and that's Beta Nancy Pi. Uh, make sure you discuss that with your doctor and find out if that is something that they can make sure is ordered, you know, after you finish, uh, after your delivery. Um, because, you know, that could potentially save your life. This disease is very little known and it's a bit of a silent killer because it, it exhibits symptoms that are so similar to other things. You know, Brandy thought she had bronchitis. So if you notice a weird dry cough, if you notice, you know, shortness of breath, anything like that, please, please, please go see your doctor. Um, talk to your doctor, make sure that they're taking it seriously and that they're not writing it off. And again, if you don't like that doctor, go find somebody else. We have to make sure that we are being listened to. You know, we know our bodies better than anyone else. And if no one else is going to advocate on our behalf, then it most certainly needs to be us and our family. Um, but yeah, again, Brandy, thank you. Great advice. Please, everybody, heed it. Um, so lastly, let's get into our gold star and timeout for the day. So I want to give my gold star to a product. Um, I have been trying to use natural deodorants for some years now. Once I read the study basically saying that aluminum and deodorant can have a correlation to breast cancer and it scared me and, and and as do most of those type of studies and then I've changed my whole lifestyle at least I try um, <laughs> so I uh, use aluminum free deodorant and it has been a struggle I've been on the struggle bus because I cannot use deodorant with um, baking soda in it Breaks my underarms out, and that is a bad look, let me tell you. So, I have been on the search for a baking soda-free deodorant. It's also a cream because the sticks are kind of wonky to me, too. Um, and I found one, and it's called Meow Meow Tweet. Super weird name. I get it, but it's great. It is all natural ingredients. Um, there's like 10 ingredients in the whole product. And none of them are aluminum or baking soda. If anyone else has the same issue with baking soda and your armpits that I have. <laughs> so check that out. It's meow meow like a cat. Meow meow tweet. Like Twitter, I guess. Is that what we send tweets, right? Yeah. Um, check that out. And last but not least, I want to give my time out to... Not a product, but it's more, I guess, a way of being. And that is trying so hard to prove ourselves. And that mainly goes, in my opinion, to women and mothers in particular. You know, we try so hard on several fronts. As mothers, we try so hard to make sure everyone can see how good of a mom we are we get our kids all the new toys they have all the things they participate in all the activities to try to make them well-rounded and you know all the work that we put into our children and 
I just feel like sometimes we just need to take a step back and really just, you know, be there for them. Just pay attention to them. Just listen to them. Just play with them and not do so much that it makes us ragged. I think that as small of a shift as it may seem is a part of our self-care. Like we have to take care of ourselves. We have to do a better job at that because we cannot pour into our families from an empty vessel and pouring and pouring and pouring is the surefire way to be empty even faster. So let's just, you know, don't try so hard. Just be you, listen to your kids, find out what they actually want. Pare it down to their needs. I know our kids, we want them to have a better life than we had and and all of that good stuff, but we'll stop trying so hard. And also goes, I think, on the professional front. If you work outside your home and you know one of the one of the memes that I saw recently said something to the effect of the world wants mothers who work to work like they don't have kids and work mothers who, uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but mothers who work to work like they don't have kids and to mother like they don't work. And that's just crazy. Like, you know, I don't believe necessarily in a quote unquote work-life balance. I think there's definitely, you know, some things are going to get more attention than others depending on the day. And that there's never going to be a true balance. It's always going to be a little bit tilted. And that's okay. And I think we need to be okay with that. And I definitely think more women who are in the professional world need to stop trying so hard to pare it back. You know, do your job. Do it well. Absolutely. But don't kill yourself trying to do it. You know, at the end of the day... No one's going to remember that you stayed five hours past in an overtime when you're on your deathbed. But your family will remember you being there. Conversely, your kids are not going to remember that you bought them 16 LOL dolls or, or whatever those weird things are. I'm a boy mom. Hashtag boy mom. So I don't know exactly that kind of stuff. But no one's going to remember that, you know, in 30 years. They're going to remember you being there and playing with them with those weird dolls. <laughs> so put in trying too hard slash doing too much as women in the corner. Let's be ourselves. Let's do our best. But let's not kill ourselves trying to do it. So, yeah, that wraps up today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Hope you guys like the new format. Please go find us on Spotify. We are hella smart mothers, spaces in between. Find us on the social medias. Uh, We're on Twitter and Instagram, way more active on Instagram, um, at hella smart mothers, and that one has no spaces. Subscribe to or follow, follow, not subscribe. Follow us on Spotify and please follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And we want to keep giving you as much amazing information to keep you guys hella smart mothers and help you make help make it look easy. Have a great day, y'all. I'll talk to y'all soon. Bye.